From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this edition... Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors, but where's all the people? and online for Freedom Sunday at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills in Southern California. We'll talk about why churches need to open unrestricted by the government with some of the pastors and attorneys who were there a little later on this edition of Washington Watch. But first, it has begun. The confirmation hearing of Judge Amy Coney Barrett began. Congrats to stop it. We'll talk about it with Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota. We'll also ask him about this statement from Joe Biden over the weekend. Sir, I've got to ask you about packing the courts. And I know that sure. you said yesterday you yeah. aren't going to answer the question until after the election. Huh. But this is the number one thing that I've been asked about from viewers uh, in the past couple of days. Well, you've been asked by the viewers who are probably Republicans who don't want me continuing to talk about what they're doing to the court right now. Well, sir, don't the voters deserve to know? No, where they he don't. Stands? I'm not going to play his game. And this year has won record books on many accounts, including hurricanes. Hurricane Delta hit Louisiana on Friday. It was the record-tying fourth named storm of 2020 to strike Louisiana, as well as the record-breaking 10th named storm to strike the United States this year. The frequency of the storms has made them almost common occurrences, which has brought less media coverage of the recovery efforts. Residents of my home state of Louisiana were still cleaning up from Laura when Delta hit. We'll talk about the relief efforts with the president and CEO of Samaritan's Purse, Franklin Graham, a little later on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you happen to be on Twitter or Parlor, it is uh, at T. Perkins. You, tonight, uh, the Freedom Sunday event, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, you can find, uh, you can find it uh, at um, TonyPerkins.com. It's all right there. Uh, Freedom Sunday 2020, a great event. Um, if you missed it, you can catch it there at the website. I strongly encourage you uh, to uh, to watch it. Very, very good program. Also, yesterday morning, I spoke at uh, Harvest Rock Church in Pasadena, California, where my friend Che An is the senior pastor, another courageous pastor whose church is meeting. I have a link to the message there at Harvest Rock at TonyPerkins.com. I encourage you to check that out as well. And, folks, um, this this week uh, the confirmation hearing will be going on of Amy Coney Barrett. It began today. I encourage you to, uh, to stay in tune. Each and every day we're going to be talking uh, about this, kind of giving you the, the, the update minute by minute and why this is important. And I, I guess I, ha- I have to underscore that we need to be voting. Again, pray, vote, stand. And if you've not yet taken that challenge, I encourage you to take that challenge. Go to prayvotestand.org and take the challenge to pray, to vote, and to stand. It's absolutely critical that we do so. All right. Um, as anticipated, it was a spectacle of sorts as uh, the, the Senate Democrats came up with all kinds of stuff on the first day of uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation hearing. 
Um, here's, a, here's a clip of Senator Kamala Harris in her opening statement. The decision to hold this hearing now is reckless and places facilities workers, janitorial staff, and congressional aides and Capitol Police at risk. Not to mention that while tens of millions of Americans are struggling to pay their bills, the Senate should be prioritizing coronavirus relief and providing financial support to those families. More scare tactics. Of course, when the move on, they talk about the qualifications of uh, Judge Barrett because, quite frankly, her qualifications are stellar. Here to talk about uh, what is unfolding on Capitol Hill, Senator Kevin Kramer, Dakota. Senator, welcome back to the program. Tony, always great to be with you. Thanks for the chance. Well, Senator, did we learn anything today? (laughs) Well, we learned that the Democrats have basically one and a half themes, and the main one being that uh, the selection of uh, Judge Barrett to be on the Supreme Court, and if she should be confirmed, means that uh, everybody's going to lose their health care coverage and that it's all about the Affordable Care Act. And we also learned, here's one thing that was confirmed, Tony, that I, I thought was really clear, at least to me, and that is Democrats truly not only love activist judges and justices, they expect you to be an activist justice. So in many, in, in many respects, I almost forgive them for, for their politicizing um, Amy Coney Barrett's ascension to the Supreme Court because they think that public policy decisions uh, and, and positions are relevant to a, to a Supreme Court justice. And as we know, as conservatives, we don't want justices who are activists. We want justices who apply the law to the Constitution, you know, and to the original intent of the founders. Um, they just don't see it that way, which is why I think they're so confused. It was very telling uh, when uh, Senator Kamala Harris, you know, after she was doing her scaremongering right. over the the whole issue of the number one that you're going to get coronavirus and die if you happen to walk onto Capitol Hill, uh, when that didn't work, that your health care was going to be yanked out uh, from underneath of you if uh, Judge Barrett was confirmed. But then she went on, and I think this is to your point. She was talking about the legacy of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her legacy of fighting for the rights of all of these various groups of individuals that uh, they perceived to be, uh, you know, disadvantaged. And and I thought about that. I said, you know, actually, the, 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 the role of a justice, what the legacy of a justice should be, is that they upheld the Constitution, not that they were fighting for the rights of any one particular person in society. Exactly right. And I think it was John Kennedy that said that, you know, what we don't need is a mini Congress, another mini Congress. And I thought the same thing when Senator Harris was going down that path. I thought, well, in fact, I said to my wife, I said, Supreme Court justices don't fight for anything. In fact, if there's one thing you shouldn't have to expect from a Supreme Court justice is to fight for anything other than uh, maybe within their own conscience and their own mind, fight for you know the, the Constitution itself and uh, and make sure that you have a clear understanding, or at least as clear an understanding as you can, of the in, original intent 
of the uh, founders. And I thought, that's why I thought Judge Barrett's opening statement was spectacular, by the way. I think that every time she's criticized, we ought to just replay her opening statement because, you know, her, her judicial philosophy was clear. The fact that uh, she, uh, she believes in the power of prayer, which I found very encouraging, frankly, um, but also just the, the fact that she's a normal person from a normal place with an extraordinary, uh, obviously extraordinary family. I, I, I just found the whole thing very heartening, and I thought most people that were watching probably did. I think you are, are absolutely right, Senator Kramer. I want, I want to go to one of the areas that the, the, your colleagues have been making very clear if the Democrats go here, it's going to uh, it's going to be painful for them. And that is on the issue of religion. We've talked about that before, how, of course, it, this is not theoretical, as Dianne Feinstein, uh, in the last confirmation hearing of Judge Barrett, you know, that's the, 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 the famous dogma uh, statement, the dogma lives within you. I, I got a short clip I want to play. Uh, from uh, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri on that topic in the committee today when he made his opening statement. Uh, Bobby, let's play that clip, uh, too, of Josh Hawley. The ranking member, when you were last before this committee, Judge, for your initial confirmation hearings, the ranking member referred to your Catholic convictions as dogma, that's a quote, that lives loudly within you. One senator said she worried that you would be a Catholic judge if you were confirmed because of your religious beliefs, I guess as opposed to an American judge, as if you can't be both a devout Catholic and a loyal American citizen. And it's not just you, Judge. Other nominees who have come before this committee for years now have been asked by my Democrat colleagues over and over their views on sin, their views on the afterlife, their views about their membership statements of Catholic organizations, about their membership in other Christian organizations, and on and on and on. And let's be clear about what this is. This is an attempt to broach a new frontier, to set up a new standard. Actually, it's an attempt to bring back an old standard that the Constitution of the United States explicitly forbids. I'm talking about a religious test for office. In this country, the people of the United States would be free to follow their own religious convictions, free to worship, free to exercise their religion, and people of faith would be welcome in the public sphere. So, Senator Kramer, let me ask you, do you think your Democratic colleagues colleagues have been warned enough that this is an area that they don't want to go, or, or will they just not be able to control themselves? So it's a great point because I cannot, I, I can't imagine that we're going to get through these next few days without at least one of them losing it. Now, I, they've been warned. They've already experienced the backlash of, of this very same um, nominee, of course, and, and, and her supporters. And so I, I imagine they can't help it. They'll, they'll make more subtle, perhaps, references to her faith. Um, you know, closely held beliefs, for example, is, is one of the terms now that, that we hear more than just a reference to, quote, dogma. Um, but make no mistake, as much as they've been warned, they've also been recorded. So that's kind of a a resurrection of a term used by the uh, Senate minority leader uh, that goes back to the Bush judicial appointees, deeply held beliefs that uh, when he was on the Senate Judiciary Committee years ago. So it's clear that uh, I think Chuck Schumer 
is coaching the other Democratic members on the language to use here. Because you're right, that's the term we're hearing now. But that comes, that's straight out of Schumer's playbook that he used back during uh, George W. Bush's uh, administration. Exactly right. And, Tony, here's, what, here's a struggle, I think, th- those of us who are people of faith, for whom faith is a, is a noble, <laughs> meritorious character, you know, character, um, characterization, really, of, of people we want in public life. And so, on the one hand, I'm not going to sit and apologize that she's a person of faith and that her pa- faith shapes her intellect, sh- it shapes her worldview, it shapes certainly how she you know, how she's, uh, she runs her family. Um, th- those are all things we hope for. I mean, if, I, if I'm given a choice between somebody who believes in the power of prayer and someone who does not, give me the person that believes in the power of prayer every time. That said, it, it, it's absolute bigotry to suggest that somebody who is a person of faith is absent of reason. And, you know, I, I, I'm not Catholic. I'm, I'm an evangelical Protestant. But one of the great gifts of Catholicism to our academic institutions in, in, in this country is the balance of faith and reason. And so all the people to be criticized would be a, a you know, faithful Catholic in, in the Supreme Court. Well, Senator Kramer, I'm thankful that this time around in this Senate, we have more people of faith like yourself who take their faith as a as a very legitimate and serious part of their lives that gives guidance to everything they do and understands the importance of it to the broader society in the positions of defending justices or judges like uh, Amy Coney Barrett. So I'm grateful for you and, and uh, senators like Josh Hawley and others who are standing up for her. Uh, Senator, good to talk with you. Look forward to talking to you again real soon. All right, folks, don't go away. We're coming back with more Washington Watch. Franklin Graham joins us next right here on Washington Watch. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash humansexuality. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider and instructor 
a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I, I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us on this edition of Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, if you uh, happen to miss last night's Freedom Sunday event, you can check it all out. Go to TonyPerkins.com or Freedom Sunday 2020. It was a spectacular lineup of uh, individuals that were a part of it. We had... uh, Dr. Al Mohler, we had uh, Dr. John MacArthur, we had Eric McTaxis, um, we had several pastors whose churches have been closed or threatened with fines or even jail time for meeting, and, and really kind of went through the process. We even had uh, uh, Dr. Dan Erickson there talking about the, the science of this, and as we mentioned in last week's program, the Great Barrington Declaration. So uh, a lot to be found there at uh, TonyPerkins.com. All right, as I mentioned at the top of the program, 2020 is one for the record books on many accounts, including hurricanes. Hurricane Delta hit Louisiana on Friday. It was the record-tying fourth named storm of 2020 to strike Louisiana just six weeks after Hurricane Laura hit. And it is the 10th named storm, which actually sets a record to strike the United States this year. Now, the concern, the frequency of these storms has made them almost common occurrence, which has brought less media coverage of the recovery efforts and the damage that has been done. Well, as I mentioned, residents of my home state of Louisiana were still cleaning up from Laura when Delta hit. Well, joining me now is one of the organizations that is on the ground in Louisiana and has been since Hurricane Laura hit southwest Louisiana. He is the uh, president and CEO of Samaritan's Purse, uh, my good friend Franklin Graham. Franklin, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. It's uh, good to be with you. Well, Franklin, give us uh, give us an update uh, on the situation there in Louisiana. Unfortunately, I, I, this is one storm I've missed. I had uh, I was in Washington and went to California, so I've not yet been back home. What's the situation there in Southwest Louisiana? Well, we're, we're still working, uh, Tony, in uh, Lake Charles, DeRitter, Jennings, uh, De Quincey. Um, we had when the when the storm came in, Delta came in. We had a pause and and get our people out, our volunteers, and get our equipment. And uh, we're back in. 
uh, after the storm. But it's um, uh, you know it's, it's just added more misery to the misery. Uh, we have um, over 3,100 people uh, that have asked us for help. Um, we have uh, on the ground today 140 volunteers working, and uh, we still have um, somewhere around uh, 2,000 requests uh, that that we have to fulfill. We haven't fulfilled, fulfilled them yet. That, that will take place in the next couple of weeks. Um, but it, the need is just uh, incredible. We've had uh, also 134 salvations already, so we thank God for that. And, and as you know, Tony, when we go in and work with these homeowners, we take chaplains um, as our teams are cleaning the houses or putting a tarp on the roof. Uh, we have chaplains that go in and pray with people and uh, just share the hope that, that we have. Uh, one of the things we did after the storm came in, we, did, we went back uh, and checked a lot of the tarps that we had already done on roofs. And um, all the tarps that we put on before the storm, uh, they all made it through the storm. So that's we, we were thankful for that. Um, you know, the wind wasn't as bad. This was a Category 2 storm. Uh, and so, uh, but it still had a, a lot of rain and, um, it's been a lot more just damage on the damage that was there. Yeah. And as I mentioned, there's storms have been so frequent this year that it's almost uh, like the media doesn't pay much attention to it. And so and if they do, they move on very quickly. But as uh, as we've talked about before, these recovery efforts are, are long-term. I mean, you're going to be there in that region of, uh, of Louisiana for some time. We'll be there to, uh, in some capacity, um, I'm sure, uh, two years from now. Uh, and what I, the Right now, we're in the cleanup phase and helping people just to dry their home in. But then we'll be back in, um, and we've already started, and, and that is uh, the, the long-term uh, recovery for people that didn't have insurance, uh, the, the poorer people that, that fall through the cracks. Uh, we'll actually come in and help rebuild their homes. And so um, that, that will keep us there for some time. So how can how can people help right now across the country? You know how can the believers, members of the church, others who want to be a part of of helping those not only in Louisiana because you're actually operating in else other places as well. What's the greatest need right now? It's for volunteers. That's the greatest need. We need men and women who would be willing to come for a few days, a weekend, a week to. Just to help uh, clean off lots, uh, and we, we have it all organized. So when they come in, uh, they don't have to worry about where, where do we go, where do we sleep, how do we, you know, how do we do this. We, we take care of all that. Uh, we just uh, would love for them to be able to come and help, and then go to our website, SamaritansPurse.org, and uh, that information on uh, how to volunteer. And of course, we always need uh, financial help, but I think the, the most critical. I need is just we need uh, people because we have so many requests for help and we just have to have teams of volunteers who can go in and and help uh, you know cut the trees off the, the roof, put a tarp down, and then um, and just uh, love on these homeowners because so so many of these homeowners are just devastated, Tony. They just they just um, they don't they don't know what to do, and if we, if we don't go in and help them. Uh, they just don't see any hope unless we come in and help them. Uh, I, I know all too well. 
just exactly what that's like for for folks there. The um, I, at one point before we run out of time, it, it, the level of expertise. I mean, you you anybody who wants to volunteer, you'll find something for them to do that is constructive. Absolutely, anybody. If you can pick up sticks, I mean, you can do that. Uh, you know, so many of these houses have to tear out the uh, drywall and things like that. If you can swing a hammer, come on, we can use them. Wow. Franklin Graham, thanks for uh, giving us an update. And again, very grateful for the work that Samaritan's Purse does all across the country and literally around the world. And folks, I, I would encourage you to check out the website. And, and if you can, you know, spend a couple of days, take a weekend, take your vacation and go somewhere and, uh, and help. And then if you can't go, help them financially. One of the best uh, organizations in terms of organization efficiency. Highly, highly recommend them. All right, don't go away. When we come back, an amazing story last night from one of our pastors, Pastor Amado Wizar, who is from uh, San Diego. A story of why the churches need to open. Don't go away. We're back with that next here on Washington Watch. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? In this important season for our nation, it is imperative for Christians to pray. While we have a responsibility to vote for biblical values and stand for truth, our priority should always be to seek the Lord first. Each week until the election, FRC and FRC Action will host a special Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to equip you to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth. We'll have experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders join us for these half-hour programs that will help you see through the fog that's been created by the biased lenses of the mainstream media. While you're there, be sure to take the 2020 Pray, Vote, Stand Challenge and make a commitment to pray for our nation, vote biblical values, and stand for truth during this 2020 election season. To watch the broadcasts and to take the 2020 Pray, Vote, Stand Challenge, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. Freedom Sunday was an amazing event. Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. If you uh, were not able to watch it and be a part of it, go to Freedom Sunday 
2020.com or just go to TonyPerkins.com, follow the links over. The information was astounding. The speakers were outstanding. It was a powerful night at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. And one of the pastors that joined us, uh, Pastor Amato Wezar, he is the executive pastor at South Bay Pentecostal Church in San Diego, California. Their church shut down like so many other churches, but they said, you know, we got, we got to meet. And he had an amazing story about the fact that because the church is not meeting, it is an issue of life and death. And they chose to meet, and it had an eternal consequence as a result. Joining me now, Pastor Amato Wezar. Pastor, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you for having me today, Tony. And thanks so much for being with us at uh, Freedom Sunday. An amazing story. Give give our listeners kind of the background on what happened with your church. Right. Well, we had our church services up until March 15th, 2020. And on March 19th, the governor issued the stay-at-home order, and he said it would be for a short amount of time. That's what we heard. And that ended up not being that. And so we got tired of... Um, not having church, we needed to meet. We were seeing suicides go up. We have uh, people that we are close to in law enforcement telling us that domestic violence locally was up. Um, we were meeting in, with families, having crisis. Marriages were falling apart. I personally were invo- was involved in those things, and so we felt we needed to come back. And so we made it March uh, May 31st to be our open date, Pentecost Sunday, and we started back, and we haven't looked back. Now, we have followed the safety protocols, and no one has gotten sick as a result to come to our church. Um, we, we stand proud on that statement, and we're thankful for that. And so since then, we have continued to um, have service, and we are breaking the law as far as we're singing, or the governor calls it chanting, but we're singing, we're praising, and um, I can't allow governor who doesn't believe in a God tell me how to worship him. And you've sought uh, help from the courts. Yes, sir. We did. We um, filed a lawsuit and it went uh, to the county uh, court first and then went to the Ninth Circuit. We I went to the Supreme Court for an emergency injunction. And uh, thankfully, they, they reviewed it. And Justice Kagan could have just decided on her own, but she took it to the whole board, the justices, and it was voted down uh, five to four. And so with that, it doesn't mean we lost. It just means that we didn't get the emergency injunction. It's back to the Ninth Circuit and it's pending right now. I tell you, this underscores the importance of the court stepping in when they should to defend uh, our first freedom, the freedom of religion. But Pastor Weezer, you you shared a story last night that underscores why churches in America should be meeting. You, You talked about violating the law by going into the church with a man who came saying, I need help. I need God. Right. We were having our food bank distribution that day, and we're doing it drive through and we're handing out bags of groceries. A man, they, I get a Facebook message. He says, uh, I need to come to church right now. I said, well, just come over. You know, we're outside. He says, I need to go inside church. I need to pray. I said, we, we've got to go inside. So we went inside, and right there, we were already breaking the law. Um, and then he's, we, we prayed. He repented of his sins. And uh, the Lord filled him with the Holy Spirit. And he said, he goes, I, I want to walk away from my life. I'm, I'm in gangs. I'm in the mafia. And if I leave, I can, I'll be killed by my own or I'll be killed by an enemy. There's no way out. But I know giving my life to Christ is going to be what I need. And so I said, do you want to be baptized? He said, yes. And so we took him that moment, Tony, and we baptized him in Jesus' name. And that right there is unlawful. We couldn't do that. But you know what? We did it. And so he was faithful to church for about a month. Uh, and so the next first Friday of the month, which is when we do our food distribution, we um, got a call the days leading to that. 
and they said Brian was murdered by the gang that he was part of. He was brutally murdered. He it was horrible. He was decapitated. It was just so bad because of what he did. By he walked away from that from sin and turned to God. But um, it, that Friday morning, we gave out groceries. It was it was a very sad day, and I'm actually uh, it's hard to talk about it. But we stayed open so that Brian can have eternal life. And after we gave groceries out that morning, I went to the cemetery and I preached Brian, at Brian's funeral. And he he could have died a sinner. But thank God we were open and he died a saint, a child of God. And so uh, you can't put any price tag on that. This had an eternal consequence or eternal determination. That is so significant because we, we, you know, we're talking about restrictions, talking about, you know, a virus that might make somebody sick. But we're talking about sin that will lead someone to eternal damnation if our churches are not open. Absolutely. And and Brian is not alone in those that are seeking help in this hour. So many are gripped by fear. The church should be the doors to the church should be open, giving that hope and that help that is so needed. Yes, sir. Pastor Weezar, we thank you so much uh, for being with us for Freedom Sunday, and thank you for being with us uh, today. And just one final note, what, what would you say to uh, to other pastors that are wrestling with this decision? I would say to now take the time to take a stand and open your doors and follow what the Lord is leading you to do because there are people that are desperate. How many more Brian's are out there that are waiting for you to open up the door? Please, pastors and churches, open up your door because there's lives that are at stake. Pastor Amato, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. And pastors, I, I do want to encourage you to do the same. And, and if you uh, you need some encouragement for the, for the uh, biblical foundation, for the constitutional authority, as well as the science that's behind th- this virus, which we know so much more about, go to TonyPerkins.com and watch Freedom Sunday that took place last night in Southern California, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. All right, don't go away. We've got more to come on this edition of Washington Watch. We'll be right back after this. Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled, Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out His meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. 
Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash pro-life maps. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash humansexuality. Welcome back to this edition of Washington Watch. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, check it out. If you're on Twitter or Parlor, it's at T. Perkins. Again, last night, Freedom Sunday 2020, a powerful event. And if you missed it, you missed it. But you can still watch it. Go to TonyPerkins.com or go to FreedomSunday2020.com and you can catch it out. Catch it. Now, the issue last night was about churches opening. In fact, a, a, a challenge really issued for churches to open on 1025. That's October the 25th. In line with Hebrews 1025, not forsaking the assemblings of yourself together. Well, one of the pastors that was with us last night, who's, uh, who really has stood, he stood and challenged the governor of Virginia. He, he flew out to California, was a part of uh, the event last night, and he joins us now on radio, along with one of the attorneys for Alliance Defending Freedom. First, Brian Hermsmeyer. He is uh, the pastor, bivocational pastor at Slate Mills Baptist Church near Boston, Virginia. And Ryan Tucker, he's senior counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom, director for Christian Ministries there, and he's actually representing a number of churches, including... Uh, the Dayton Valley Church in Nevada. Brian, I want to start with you. Um, thanks so much for, uh, for for being with us here on radio today. Well, thank you, Tony. It's my pleasure to be here with you again. I, I want to start with you just to, I know you were on with us a couple of weeks ago sharing your story, but just again, talk about how it came about that you were a part of challenging Governor Ralph Northam's um, restrictions on churches. Sure. So it all started, well, when these restrictions were in place and um, they began to be relieved and certain businesses were allowed to, you know, go back to business and churches still remained with their restrictions. And uh, so it just felt like there was something wrong there. And um, it was a really divine appointment when I met my friend who happens to be an attorney 
and we were walking on the street, just happened to be at the same time. And he felt the same thing. And he began to tell me about a legal case that he felt like he could bring to the governor. Uh, I heard him out and I felt like it was a good case. And I thought that I would like to be a part of it. I asked if we could do some kind of petition style where I could sign my name to it. And that began uh, the whole process. So the Lord took over from there. And uh, what we saw from there is a progression of uh, legal uh, back and forth between uh, the attorney and the governor's attorneys. And eventually uh, we found the Lord had great favor in our case. And so as far as my part, um, what I did was simply say yes. Uh, and it reminds me of um, it reminds me of the commissioning of Isaiah. Uh, when the Lord says, whom shall I send? And he says, here am I, send me. And that was really a moment of just saying, I don't know what the future holds, but I'm giving it to you, Lord, and you do what you will. Before I go to Ryan to unpack that a little bit, I just I, I want you to, to kind of go full circle here on this story because the end result was the governor backed off of his restrictions on the churches so that they were treated like other entities. And that had an effect upon the entire state of Virginia when it came to churches and religious gatherings. That's right. I had no confidence in my legal ability, but I have every confidence in the Lord's ability. And so I knew that I could trust him to uh, accomplish his will. And he accomplished something far greater than we even anticipated. And so we were seeking um, for our churches to uh, be fairly treated within our region. However, it ended up being the entire state of Virginia for every church and not just churches, but every religious service for 250 people or less. So weddings, funerals, baptisms, all these religious services are now restriction free. So, Ryan Tucker, the reality here is the law, the Constitution, the First Amendment really does defend religious freedom in this country. But you really can't prove that until you have someone like Pastor Brian willing to stand up. Well, absolutely. You need a willing plaintiff to take your case to the courts so that we can set good precedent uh, to uh, help the generations. A lot of these cases that are being uh, you know, uh, ruled negatively, if you will, where the where the court looks at it and says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to grant deference to local officials. They're actually citing a case from over 100 years ago. And so it's important for us to get a case to the United States Supreme Court so we can set a good legal precedent uh, that's going to affect the entire nation, the big seed church as a whole. If we can get a case like the one you mentioned in uh, Nevada, Calvary Chapel, Dayton Valley, where casinos are open at 50% capacity, but uh, the church doors limited to 50. We get a case like that back to United States Supreme Court. We can set great precedent. It's going to help the churches in Virginia and Nevada and throughout the entire United States. Yeah, I want to talk about that. And But first, I, I want to go back to this um, the case with, with Brian, because they actually didn't go to, they didn't have to settle in court. They settled out of court. And I and I and I wonder if it's because the governor realized he was on thin ice. Well, sure. I mean, the, the law was certainly on their side. You know, that was handled by another organization, admittedly. But when when we looked at the the law there and or the um, the proclamation, if you will, in, in Virginia, 
you know, temporary restrictions, sometimes when you take those to courts, the, the, the courts will give deference. But when you have an open-ended, never-ending proclamation for a quote-unquote emergency, that's unconstitutional. And isn't it, in some cases, this is my take on it, that you have governors, uh, mayors, others that will issue these orders knowing that they're on thin legal ice, but they know that a lot of people want to comply with the law and so they just won't challenge it. And so until you have a pastor, you have a leader who is willing to say, you know what, this isn't right, I'm going to stand up. You can't do anything about it until uh, they're willing to stand. Absolutely. We, we have to have churches willing to stand up, to put their name out there. Uh, so that they can participate in the process, so that we can actually right the many wrongs that are taking part across the United States. That, that, that's just like the Apostle Paul when he was charged, and he said, "You know what? I, I want to. I want to appeal to Rome." He exercised his legal authority, and so by pastors taking a stand, that's just the way our system works. You've got to challenge something before you can resolve it in court. Absolutely, the courts are not going to uh, give us a ruling on a hypothetical. That is antithetical to the uh, the judicial system as a whole. So you need an actual concrete plaintiff willing to take a stand for a wrong uh, that's been committed. In some cases, that requires you standing up to, quote unquote, violate the order in order to challenge the order. It's both. I mean, you can be, you know, we, we've seen instances where you have both a plaintiff as well as a defendant. You know, you can actually go to the courts in advance and say, here's an unconstitutional law. I don't want to be in violation of it. I want you to go ahead and declare it unconstitutional. On the back end, you also have instances where churches uh, take a stand. Uh, they may be in violation of a law. The government comes after them. And in that instance, yes, of course, they would be a defendant in that instance. Uh, Ryan Tucker, I'm going to I'm going to come back in just a moment to the case out in Nevada, but I want to I want to ask Brian, uh, Pastor Brian, this as as a pastor, when you took this stand, how did your congregation respond to that? Uh, they were very supportive, very supportive. Uh, it it was something I did on my own conviction. Uh, it wasn't tied to the church necessarily. It was my name on there, but they supported me all the way, and I uh, gave them updates throughout the weeks, and. You know, I, I want to say to your listeners as well, um, you know, as a church, as the body of Christ, we need to understand that God is the one who has given us freedom. Our government does not give us freedom. Government is there to protect the God-given freedoms we have. And as it says, as Jesus says in John 8, he says, if you abide in my word, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Have have other pastors responded to you or contacted you as a result of this case? Oh, absolutely. So this this is struck uh, quite a uh, an inspiration in the region, and so many pastors have contacted me. Most of them wanting the actual legal document so that they can prove that they have the legal right to actually do this and open back up. Um, but still, I think that the power comes from. Uh, the the desire to have that freedom, which is already ours in Christ Jesus. It's, it's, it's just like our constitutional freedom is just like our spiritual freedom. We have to exercise it to experience Amen. it. It is uh, so evident. I, uh, Ryan, uh, I want to go back to this case out of Nevada because you're absolutely right. I think, I mean, in the courts, precedent is important. But I think how we end this uh, epidemic in terms of how the churches are being treated is probably where we will start the next time. 
So setting good precedent is extremely important when it comes to religious freedom. Oh, absolutely. Like, like I said, the, the courts, uh, even in the, uh, the California case that preceded our case that also went up to the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, there was a site there to a 105-year-old decision out of Massachusetts. And courts across the United States have cited that to give deference to uh, state and, and local officials as, as a rationale for why they can get away with what they're attempting to do. And so we need to uh, put a good case before the United States Supreme Court. I think uh, the Nevada case that we are handling right now at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals with oral argument coming up, uh, it, it stands a very good chance of getting its way back to the United States Supreme Court, and we're hopeful that the court will correct the wrong that's that's taken place there in Nevada. So just uh, explain that again to our listeners where the, the court refused to step in on an emergency basis, sent it back to the Ninth Circuit. So where does that stand? What's the time frame? Yeah, that's absolutely right. So, you know, many listeners probably think, well, what happened there, it must be over. No, that was an emergency application. It's the most extreme a request really one can make. It's a very uh, tough procedural uh, request for one to go to the United States Supreme Court and say, on an emergency basis, we want you to rule in our favor. They did not. So, But the mere fact that they did not rule in our favor doesn't mean that the case is but over. But it's still disappointing because this is such a fundamental freedom. Oh, sure. I mean, this is so – I mean, it's, I, to me, it's so, it's so clear. It's so it, evident that, that anyone should be able I, to see that. I, I, absolutely. I mean, it, it really was utterly ridiculous, the fact that... Because casinos have the ability to operate with greater freedom than the churches of Nevada. It, it, it's insane. And, and, and if you go back and look at this, there were several, what I would call liberal law professors that looked at our case and said, you know what, they're right. So it's not just... Um, you know, one side of the aisle or, or one particular ideology that thinks we're correct. If you look nationwide, the the vast majority of people look at this and say this is not just uh, insane. Uh, they recognize the unconstitutional nature of it. So what's the timeline here? What, 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 uh, what do you anticipate? So we have oral argument in early December before the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And at that point, we'll wait for the Ninth Circuit to issue its written ruling. And depending on how that goes, we will end up back, likely, at the U.S. Supreme Court. So what happens, uh, Ryan, if the, the governor, you know, almost similar to Governor Northam in Virginia, realizing he's on the losing side of this, and so he changes his restrictions prior to the court ruling? Well, the, the moment we got our notice of an oral argument date, within 24 hours, he did move the goalposts and actually has uh, created a little bit more uh, room for churches there in Nevada. So there, I think that's an attempt to, to quote-unquote, moot us out. Uh, but you uh, also have a situation where the governor has made very clear that today I may, quote unquote, grant you this extra relief, but tomorrow I may take it away. And when you have a situation where uh, your rights ca are, are here today, gone tomorrow, that doesn't moot out the case. And so we're looking forward to having that discussion, having that argument. So you can press it onward regardless oh, of what he does. Oh, absolutely. And we are because he's already already issued an order. He went from uh, the church being limited to 50 people per, per, per um, uh, you know, basically uh, the church doors being limited to 50 now to 250. I think that is so important that you, you not back up, even if they wave a white flag, because you're right, it's the precedent and, and we've got to send a very strong message 
that we're we're not gonna we're not gonna back down. Well, and also think about this: the two fifty cap that I'm talking about, that's not on the casinos. If you go to Las Vegas Strip right now, it's not like there's two hundred fifty people uh, playing slots at MGM Grand. It, and it's it's an economic decision because I've I've seen how much tax revenue the state of Nevada receives from the casinos, but nonprofit churches, uh, not so much revenue that they gain from them. And so this is you know this is another one of those utilitarian decisions by politicians that, quite frankly, is is wrong. It's immoral and it has to be challenged. That's right. I mean, go- governors aren't kings. Mayors aren't kings. Uh, and so. You know, again, we're we're extremely hopeful that we're going to uh, uh, prevail at the Ninth Circuit, and depending on what happens there, we may be very likely back at the Supremes. Well, Ryan, I just want to say on behalf of all of us here at Washington Watch and the Family Research Council how grateful we are for the work of Alliance Defending Freedom. Thank you for being a part of Freedom Sunday, and uh, we're grateful for Mike Ferris and all the work you guys do. Thank you very much, Tony. And, uh, and, and Brian, just uh, a, a final thought here very quickly for pastors that might be uh, listening that may be a little intimidated. Yes, well, um, please take a look at Ephesians 6 and realize that we are fighting a spiritual warfare here. And so this is what we have been called to. And uh, we are to put on the whole armor of God because we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of darkness in heavenly places. And as we do that, we will have the power to stand. Yeah, it's quite amazing. You know, throughout Scripture, God brings tremendous victories, but it always requires man to take a stand. God needs us just to stand. He'll do the heavy lifting, but we've got to show up. Uh, Brian, Ryan, thanks so much for uh, joining me today. Thank you. And, folks, I want to thank you for joining us as well. And I do want to encourage you, again, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com, and and watch Freedom Sunday. It was a powerful, powerful event. And take the challenge to pray, vote, and stand. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, When you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand. By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is powered by the Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.